If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Lynn Shea, and welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Podcast. And I mean it, don't go out there. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. I just want to thank all our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. And like I said for our last interview, we always like to bring the legends of the horror genre on our show. And wow, we have another amazing guest for you guys tonight. We are thrilled to be joined today by another legend in show business in the horror genre, she has over 200 credits to her name in a phenomenal career that spans over four decades. Known best for her role as Elise Rainier in the Insidious franchise, Miss Lynn Shay. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Oh, thank you. I hope I can live up to that intro. <laughs> that was really beautiful. Thank you for, for introducing me in such a, a loving and professional way. I appreciate it. Oh, you're amazing. Uh, we always like to start our interviews off just by asking what got you into acting, Miss Lynn? Well, it's interesting because I never, per se, decided to be an actress until much, much later. Uh, I think what got me into it is I love storytelling. And that's something I did from the, ever, from the time I was little. I, I, um, this is a story I've told before, but when I was a little girl, like five, six years old, we didn't have a lot of kids in our neighborhood. So the way I entertained myself was in my room with all my clothes and my dolls and my my stuffed animals and I would make up stories. I would put on different outfits and have different voices and my animals all had a place in the in the storyline and um and it was I guess for a little kid it was pretty intense, you know, and my mom was great. I mean, because some parents are more interfering than others, but my mom knew I was safe and whatever I was creatively doing was positive um, in terms of my own growth. And indeed it was. So that's kind of where it started. And then school plays and on to high school school plays, on to college plays. But I was an art history major in college. I went to University of Michigan and I was not a theater major, but I was always in shows and always looking so it was always my fun thing, it was the thing I loved the best. 
Right. And what wasn't until I finished school until I got my first job at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in the registrar's office in the basement, <laughs> sort of, which was actually a pretty cool job because I got to go into the Met um, at uh, 8.30 in the morning and walk through the Egyptian exhibits with all the scary <laughs> sarcophaguses <laughs> and, you know, and Egyptian things. And so that sort of fueled my horror imagery probably at some, at some <laughs> level. And anyway, I just thought, you know, I really, I miss being in a play. So I ended up quitting the job and uh, applying to graduate school. And I went to Columbia University, had a, a new theater arts program. I was accepted in the acting program and I finished that in New York, um, a three-year program, and then sort of segued into off-off-Broadway theater. So suddenly there I was doing the thing I wasn't, never really decided upon, but sort of led me to fulfilling what I love the most, which is a real key when you think about that for people who push themselves into a place, they really, they go, well, I'm supposed to do that. But it's important, and this is sort of a little, just a, a kernel of philosophy, follow, you You got to really follow what your passion is, because we're all good at something different. Right. Not everybody's good at the same thing. And if you find yourself good at something, Try and find a way to to incorporate that into your life because it makes you happy. When you're always fighting your own instincts, you're not a happy person. So bottom line is, I am a really happy human being. I love what I do. I'm grateful I'm good at it, and I know I'm good at it, and that's not from an ego place. It's just from an awareness of my own, of my own gifts. Right. So anyway, that was a long way of telling you that story, but... No, that's awesome. And, and especially this kind of plays off of uh, your happiness there. I mean, you know, people think of comedy and horror as, you know, completely two separate genres sometimes. But I mean, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive at all. And, and one can definitely play off the other. Uh, you've obviously got tons of experience in the comedy field, you know, working with the Ferrelli brothers um, from Dumb and Dumber to There's Something About Mary and, of course, Kingpin. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Of course. Um I always, when I, I ended up coming to Los Angeles, I lived in New York for a long time. Uh, for 10 years, I did theater there. It's another long story of how I got to LA, which is a great story, but let me kind of answer your question. Um, uh, I, my brother, Bob Shea, started New Line Cinema in 1968. Right. You guys probably weren't even born then. <laughs> but anyway, he started, and it was his, literally, he started it in his living room. Another example of following your your thing, you know, and so he didn't have an office, but he had a desk, and he had a pen, and he had not even a computer yet. There were no computers. Right. So he was, uh, he had his telephone <laughs> with a thing and a dial, probably. <laughs> well, not quite that far back, but, right. and um, so Bob... Uh, I was in I was at Columbia in school at the time, and he started this company, and um, it it sort of segued into becoming a production company, even though it originally started out as sort of um, they did um, uh, convent not conventions but um, speakers. He had speakers that he would um, book at different college campuses, and then he wanted to make films. Bob was always interested in photography and filmmaking. And this kind of so slowly but surely, his first movie was a movie called Stunts, and they started producing other films. And the Fairley Brothers, um, this was nine. Gosh, I'm trying to think what year. 1995 is it? 95, 96, somewhere in there. Pete um, found New Line, 
he had this they had this movie um called dumb and dumber oh, that yes. that had never been um i guess apparently they had taken it around and pete had never made a movie before and he was he's a writer and um brought the project to bob and bob said um it looked good to him so he also is a you know follows his gut kind of and doesn't go by what other people sort of other people's rules right. and he thought i don't i don't care who didn't buy it we think it's great and they got jeff daniels and jim carrey who were also just getting their jim especially was just getting his career going this was before was it before the mask um you you probably know i believe it was it was really close there together um, because the mask was also new line so right. bob, so bob had um, so whatever that, whether first, whichever came first, they got Jim and, and Jeff Daniels, which were two amazing, they're just amazing actors. So this cuts to, again, the answer to your question. I get a phone call and I was just getting little parts and my brother would always kind of humiliate me in public by saying, this is my sister, Linda. She wants to be an actress. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I would always cringe and sort of disappear into the woodwork because at that point I had not done more than, you know, little tiny things on different movies or TV or whatever. And um, just by auditioning and trying to get myself out there. So um, anyway, I get a call from the casting director who was Rick Montgomery. And he said, oh, we want to hire you for a day on a film um, that a New Line Cinema is doing. You know, it was all very professional. And um, the character's Mrs. Nugaborn, and he sent me the, it was the, that one scene, and I thought, wow, you know, like, who saw me somewhere? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what did they see that they were going to hire me? And so I called my brother, to, figuring to thank him, and he just he kind of hung up on me. He says, oh, get your own goddamn job. <laughs> he was and um, so I thought, oh, it's, so that even made it better because it wasn't Bob, you know, maybe some right. stranger, you know, some casting person or big other, you know, producer had seen me. So um, so I, I got the job. I went to I, I think we were in Rhode Island. I went to Rhode Island for the one day. We shot the scene with Jeff Daniels. I was so excited because I loved Jeff Daniels. And these were really famous actors for me, you know, I and they still are. So um, and um, I had some good ideas in terms of the character. I always work the way I was trained. I, I worked with some of the best acting teachers ever, Lee Strasberg, Stella Adler and Uta Hagen, who were my three, my, my triumvirate. They, they trained me. And it's always about doing the work. It's not just saying lines. Who was this woman? I made her with the curly front of her hair because that she had poodles. And I thought how people look like their dogs. You know? <laughs> so so we kind and and I had a hound tooth coat. I tried to put all these sort of doggy imagery into my character. And um, Pete was really impressed. I mean, they all thought, oh, it's Bobby Shea's little sister. You know, I didn't know they were thinking that, but they were. And um and I did a really, you know, they really liked what I did. And I remember Pete was like, whoa, I really like that. Let's try that. And I had this thought at the end of the scene. It says she screams when she opens up the van doors and there's the dogs. And I said, what about instead of screaming, she whimpers like a dog. And so they put that in where I'm going, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you know, rather than a big, ah, you know, a real sort of classic um, comic, comic scream. It became more about her, the dogs. So that was my introduction to the Fairley brothers. And it was after that, 
I literally saw in the trades that they were doing this other movie called Kingpin. And I, the character was described as the angriest, ugliest woman God ever let loose on the planet. Oh, wow. And I thought, I got to play that role. <laughs> I mean, those are the roles. That's what appeals to me, you know, because okay. it's that extreme, the extreme of humanity. And, and how do you make that real? How do you find that in yourself? Well, it wasn't that hard. <laughs> but, but I mean, but literally for six weeks, because the movie was, I, I sort of saw when it was supposed to schedule, when it was scheduled to um, start shooting. And I remember sitting upstairs uh, in my bedroom. I found that outfit, Mrs. Dumar's outfit. I, saw, I bought it on Melrose Avenue at a thrift store. And I thought, because it, it was, um, and it turned out to be perfect because it was a 70s jumpsuit. And I didn't realize even that the movie was taking place in that period. So it was one of those moments where the universe hands you a gift, you know. Right. And I remember I paid a dollar and a half for it, dollar and 50 cents. I still have it upstairs in my closet. Um, so anyway, so I bought this little outfit and I started experimenting with skin, bad skin and bad teeth. And I put yellow on my teeth and I had eyelashes coming out of my nostrils um, that would look like nose hairs. And I, I mean, I tried to make make myself as disgusting as possible. But in the meantime, I couldn't get an audition. They were all saying, we love your work. You did a great job in Dumb and Dumber, but we don't think you're right for this role. And I'm going, yeah, but, you know, and so they were five days. It was because I remember I, I think I called I called one of the producers who I'd met on Dumb and Dumber wonderful person named Steve Stabler. I don't know if he's even still in the business, but he became sort of, we chatted when I did Dumb and Dumber on set. And so my ex-husband said, call him and see if he'll give, get you an audition because everybody else was ignoring me. So I get, I actually get Steve on the phone and he says, oh, we love your work, Lynn, but we just don't think you're right. And just as he's about to close the door, I said, well, I worked out this whole character on my bedroom floor <laughs> that I, I would love to show you and so he said okay I'll bring in uh, this was on a Tuesday I'll bring in Thursday so I dressed up as Mrs. Dumars let me see if I've got her here I can show her to you you see can you yes. see her yes <laughs> <laughs> she still sits proudly on my desk so I got all dressed up and I drove to Santa Monica and I I went into the to the um to the building and there were no chairs. So I sat down on the floor kind of waiting and a half hour goes by and Rick Montgomery's walking back and forth. And finally I thought, I said, Rick, am I, I, I've been, you know, I don't mind not pushing you, but how much longer before I, you know, you think you'll see me. And he said, Lynn. And I said, yeah, he said, we thought we had just almost called the police because we thought you were <laughs> oh, <wow>. on the street. <laughs> So anyway, long, long, long story short, I went in, I auditioned, and I got the job. And they did everything I did. They they chucked whatever wardrobe they had thought about. They they used every single element that I brought into the characterization. And um, it's still to date my favorite thing. And that was, you know, and then from there came something about Mary. And then I did smaller roles in other films of theirs and Stuck on You and... Um, Oh, I can't even remember. There was a handful of um, of j just smaller roles. Um, and then, you know, then we all went our separate ways. And, of course, Pete has gone on. Pete is both those guys. I mean, they 
Uh, I was in the Three Stooges. I had one tiny little scene in that. That was the last thing I think I did with them. And uh, that was kind of their last hurrah in terms of comedy. And then, of course, Pete, you know, won the Academy Award for Green Book, which was just fabulous. Um, they're brilliant, brilliant storytellers, that, that word again. So I am honored to, for them to have been the ones who ushered me into my, really into the meat of my career. And they've been iconic characters. So we all have them to thank then for sure. Oh, absolutely. Miss Shay, we're gonna, I'm just going to transition to the, to the horror genre now, if you don't mind. No, not at all. And if I'm yeah. talking too much, tell me. Oh, no, not at oh, all. Oh, no, no, no. I love hearing Great, these stories. Thank you. Your, your most famous role now, you know, you're most famously known for now that your character Elise in the Insidious franchise, which you were absolutely phenomenal in all four of them. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you got that role and just about your character some? Yep. Um, I met James Wan through a mutual friend, um, a wonderful director named Tim Sullivan, who I had worked with on. There were two films called uh, 2001 Maniacs. And then there was a sequel to it that I did with Rob, one I did with Robert Englund and then Bill Mosley played the, the, the same character in the, in the sequel. Um, and so I met, and I don't even remember how I met Tim actually, but Tim was a, a sort of, not a real close friend of James Wan, but a friend. And James had already done um, all the Saw movies. He and Lee Winnell um, had done all eight of the Saw movies already. And James had made a couple other features, one which I actually auditioned for, and I don't re- didn't realize I, it was between me and the other actress who played it. I think it was called Dead Silence. Oh, okay. the, the marionette with the puppet. Yes. And I, I did. A, I remember doing a great audition. I didn't know James at the time, but I, I didn't get it. And I apparently I was I didn't know what this. You know, you never know how close you get or how far you are. So right. um, anyway, so Tim came over one evening and he brought James with him because James was a friend. Uh, uh, um, he was a fan of this movie I did called Dead End, which I think was 2003, which is also a, a terrific movie with. Um, oh, my God. I mean, it's just a. a one of, one of my all-time favorites. And um, so James came over, and he, I had a, a copy of Dead End I gave him. And the next, he asked me then a couple weeks later to be in a video he was doing with Lee Winnell, who I'd never met yet, um, called Doggy Heaven, which is a comedy, and which I think is still on YouTube. And it was a prequel to an Xbox release. So it was just this nine-minute, ridiculous, hilarious video of Lee Winnell getting killed and ends up going to dog heaven instead of people heaven. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. And I play this crazy woman with a giant hat and big boobs and big butt and a big smile on my face with little Miss Marple, who's my dog. (laughs) And and I shoot him. I'm the one that kills him. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> we have a road rage moment um and and it, the whole thing is nine minutes as i said so we did that and then a, about a week or two later or maybe a month or so um james called and said lee my partner and i are trying we're thinking of doing this other movie we don't know have a title yet it might be called the further um and there's a role i'd like you to look at and uh, of a psychic and i said sure i said great i was excited anybody that offers me something that sounds fun. So he sent the script over and it was a very scary script. And I I remember I read it in bed and I went and put it downstairs in the closet before I went to sleep. Oh, wow. 
it was just kind of it would it really it just made me I I believe in everything. I'm not I'm not afraid of a lot of things. I'm much more afraid of people than I am demons to be honest. I've sort of made peace I feel with the supernatural on some level. I hello, how are you? <laughs> you know, yes, it's I know we all there. <laughs> Can't fool me. You um, have to, yeah. <laughs> really. So, um so that part wasn't scary, but there was something eerie and um and then I called James back and I said, I would love to be a part of it. I just remember seeing Elise talked a lot because she's the one that sets up the whole universe at the further in that first in that first um, first film. So James said, yeah, well, I've got the we've got to offer out to Patrick Wilson and to um, Rose Byrne. And then literally, I think a day or so later, he calls back. He said they both said yes. I mean, because, you know, usually things can take forever. He said, and we're going to start shooting. So I said, okay, so I was in, and it was a three-week shoot, and uh, $800,000, which is a very low budget for a, a, an ambitious right. film, and um, that was the beginning of my of my relationship with them, and I, I don't, to, it was, I remember Jason Blum um, talking to my manager, and it was kind of, it was kind of exciting, because the character was not... I mean, there's Patrick and Rose are just both so brilliant, so beautiful, and I mean, they're so interesting to watch. And I never really, I mean, I'm not to not to not toot my own horn, but there's really not much of a horn to toot. I feel like I do my work and I do the best I can, and I don't have any agenda about how it's gonna, you know, how it's gonna be or how it's gonna strike people. Right. So I did the best I could, and was very surprised when I sort of started hearing. Lynn was really, you know, we everybody really loves Lynn in this movie. And I thought, oh, well, that's really great, you know, and everything. And um, I remember the very first, that first part of the, uh, when you first see me, which is the third into the movie already. Right. Um, I remember I said to James, let me both knock on the door and ring the doorbell at the same time. Like, she doesn't know. And my first line to them is, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know if the doorbell worked, which I thought was a great line for a psychic you know in other words she's good at what she does but she doesn't know if she's got her shoes on or not yep, <laughs> you know, yep. she's, she's kind of that person and it kind of set up this sort of endearing I, I realized I didn't know it at the moment but it kind of set up this endearing quality of her she's very warm and very familial and um and very open and um and also very much a person I, I recognize who's about you, not about herself. Right. And that is a very, and I think sort of subconsciously, that's a very endearing attribute at this point in, in our lives because people are so busy about me, 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 my iPhone, my I, 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 And that Elise is about how can I help you? Yes. And, and, and you know very little about her, especially in that first one. And um, so that was the beginning. And, you know, James, I remember, said, I, maybe we shouldn't kill you because what if there's a sequel? And I said, oh, what the hell? <laughs> just get it. Just, get, just, just let, let Patrick kill me. It'll be a great scene. And, um, you know, so that was kind of interesting because then the second one, I'm in the further because I'm dead. Right. And when the character kept accumulating fanship sort of and appeal – they that's when they went back they said well we got to put lynn in the movie more which was 
I mean, what better news can you ever hear from a director and a producer that they want more rather than less? <laughs> you know, it's usually, let's get rid of that scene. You know? And so um, anyway, so that's how that all went. And she developed as we went. And what's interesting to me quickly, because I, 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 I know you've got other questions, but my backstory for her was very different than what Mel wrote. Um, and I wasn't sad that he wrote it, but I kind of, it, I, I mean, he never, we never discussed it, but I saw her as an only child with no family and that she was a loner and that that was how the spirits found her. Oh, wow. I mean, that was my, that was my interpretation from the start. And so her, she, she searched out other people and helping other people because she was lacking that in her own life. In a weird way, I still think that's, that would have been a very good choice. But Lee, you know, gave me a brother and a and nieces and, you know, in <laughs> the third one, I mean, there's a whole a whole network of family, right. which, which works great because you bring in new wonderful characters. But that was never how I saw the character. And suddenly they started calling me Dr. Elise Rainier. And I'm going like, what do you, pardon, can I say it? What the fuck? <laughs> She's no doctor. She's like this woman who lives probably alone and who has a dog. <laughs> <laughs> which I do have in the movie and, you know, and who um, doesn't engage with other people very much. You know, she's, and I still think in a weird way that for me is still the way I see her, you know, even though we've been given these other elements. So. Right. Oh yes, ma'am. And you are phenom- absolutely phenomenal in all four movies. Um, you know, Brian Brian sent me a text message that we were getting the the wonderful Lynche on the show, and a question that automatically came to my mind because me and Brian have discussed this several times. His favorite horror writer and director is Wes Craven, and yes. mine and mine is James Wan. Uh, so, what was it like to work with two of the greatest to ever do it in the genre? What are some similarities and some differences between the two? Because me me and Brian love both of them so much. <laughs> Wes, we all, I still miss Wes. Wes was also New Line Cinema, was my brother, my big brother. You know, Bob has been an incredible, you know, if you believe in nepotism or you don't, well, I got it. <laughs> I mean, I, Bob helped me enormously because that was also put my sister in your movie. That's what he would say to these directors for Alone in the Dark or, um, the uh what was it oh my gosh i'm just blanking on the name of this um jack shoulder directed a couple of films and bob same thing put my sister in your movie and he pretended he didn't and by the way finally he admitted that he was the one that helped me get into uh to dumb and dumber it's at one point but um wes was probably one of the nicest people you've ever met and also one of the most intellectually fascinating people he was a he was a a virtuoso guitarist classical guitarist oh wow he was brilliant in ever in so many different directions he always um i remember i did this episode of oh this is kind of a funny story if you want to hear a a west story absolutely Um, i was asked to audition for uh the twilight zone they had a new there was a new twilight zone not the rod serling one but it was the same format and Wes was directing some of the episodes. Oh, okay. So I, I had an audition. I got a, an audition for this one. And I went into, uh, oh, God, I miss the old days. You know, everybody's on tape now. Self-tape 
What about going in and I can't do that. And I come off terribly in those, by the way. I don't because it's, to me, it's not acting. It's something that's different. That's right. like some weird technological presentation that if you're lit wrong and you oh, anyway, this was real life. And we went in and they and all the producers were there and Wes was there. And it was kind of this oddly it was a kind of an odd scene. I was actually playing an alien, but I was an alien that was trying to manipulate um, the character, I can't remember the actor's name, a wonderful actor. The episode's called Chameleon, just so okay. you, you know. And um, so I kind of played it, and it was kind of emotional. Like I was using him to sort of get sympathy from him so that I could, you know, then take him, sort of. So the casting director at the end of the audition said, um, so we read it once, and he said, could you do it again a little less sappy? <laughs> and I thought... You know what I went, <laughs> and and I I mean that was like a, a knee jerk reaction. If I'd thought about it, I would never flip off a casting director. <laughs> and I remember Wes, who was in the back of the room, was like this, <laughs> laughing his ass off. He was beet red, which is what he always, Wes would blush a lot, and he was a handsome, handsome, beautiful man. And I remember he was just beat red and la you could see him shaking, trying to not show how hard he was laughing. And I got the part. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so that was Wes. And um, he just was the softest spoken, most violent man probably I've ever met. Oh, really? I mean, well, not really. I mean, he was not violent in his real life. But in when you look at the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yes. Yeah. There, none of them were as good as that, in my opinion. That was still it. The right. first one was the best one. End of story. The rest, you know, episode after episode. And I think he direct. He, I was also on the last one, um, which was I think the seventh. New or nightmare. Eighth. Yes, ma'am. So I was in the new nightmare, and um, and and those were the three times I worked with Wes. One on the on the chameleon, and these other two, and I adored him. And everybody that met him or knew him adored him. He was respectful. He was quiet. He was brilliant. He was loving. He was embraceive. He was. He, his talent had no limits. I really believe that. And um, we, everybody who ever met him, really still misses him. So he was. It was a joy. The bottom line is, it was a joy to be around and to work with Wes Craven. It's awesome. So uh, kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, talk to us a little bit about your uh, your new movie, The Call, where you play uh, Edith Cranston. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and what it's about? Yeah, that, we this was a film that um, my manager uh, had. I guess the writer is her I, – I don't know if he's her client, actually, or if the, one of the producers was her client. But she had this movie, and we – I read it, and there were things I liked about it and things I didn't like about it, to be honest, and with all due respect to Patrick Stibbs, who is the writer and who did a wonderful job. But there were things, it was all kind of witchy, This, and I said, it's not, I don't think that's what this is about. I think this is about a woman who's um, who's been wrongly accused of, of uh, you know, she's because, she's been bullied by these children. Right. Because I always look for... That's the thing about the metaphysical or the – I don't look for that. I look for the humanity of each character because that's all I can play. I mean, you can play, uh, you know, but uh, – like, Well, that's what the audience relates to as well, I feel like. 
I think so too. And I think that's part of also the reason instead of playing Elise, it's like we are now in the other, you know, instead of playing her like those sort of corny psychics you see, pardon the expression. There's a lot of wonderful psychics out there, but um, you find what's the person? Who's the person? What is that? So we talked a lot about it. And Timothy Woodward is a fascinating, talented man who, I don't know if you know this story. I mean, I really do talk a lot. So t- again, but th- these are all great stories. Oh, no, absolutely. Please. He said, he did a movie called, it was first called um, The Seven Wishes or something. And it was kind of an Aladdin's Lamp story. Oh, okay. And, uh, and uh, he sent the script. And that's, this is all, again, with all due respect to Jeffrey Reddick, who was brilliant and who created um, Final Destination. I mean, he's... Wow. But it was it was just and so I'm not and anything I say like that is has nothing to do with Jeffrey. It has to do with the way something hits me right yeah. or wrong, you know, that I sort of that's what it looked like to me. It looked like you rub the magic lantern and the, the genie, you know, the, the bad guy appears. And I thought there's got to be more to it than that, too. So we so I read it and I said, I don't know. And he, they offered me a, a, a really nice salary, which is also. Oh, and, well, so we sent it back to, to Timothy. And they came back with more money. So, so I read it again, and I, and I kept going. I could just, if we could only, and I, I just can't. I just can't. I can't do an Aladdin's lamp movie <laughs> where I'm the genie, or I mean, where I'm bringing it to out a genie. So we sent it back to Patrick, to um, Timothy again, and he, um, he, and so we we passed. So this is number two. So he sends it back again. And he says, okay, we made some adjustments and we're going to you know, talk about it like this. And and they upped the salary again. And finally, I said to Gina, let's just meet with this director and talk about it a little bit in person. Right. So he met, he met, <laughs> I had a meeting at Sony and I was with my manager, Gina Rugolo, is one of the greatest people that I know, let alone such a fabulous manager. And I've been with her over 20 years and God bless her heart because she's always steered me right, you know, stuff. So I was at Sony. So we said to Timothy, okay, come meet us. We'll meet at Marie Callender's to talk about this movie. So um, we come out of the thing and I see Timothy literally run. He's three blocks away and we're like right on, you know, we're like two minutes or whatever. He's in a suit and tie, sweating like a pig. Running, <laughs> you know, like transversing traffic across Wilshire Boulevard. Oh wow! To try to make sure he's on time, and he comes and he kind of pulls himself together, and and he's also from the south, you know, he's from I guess is it sort of, it's either North or South Carolina, okay. so he's got that beautiful Southern accent, and he says, and he calls everybody ma'am, and so there we are, sort of like oh we're all like deer caught in the headlights. And um, we went into Marie Callender's and I and I said, you know, I said, we really th- these were the elements that didn't really work. And he said, oh, well, I'm not going to do it like that. <laughs> so we said, oh, OK. And so we started talking about his concept, which was totally great. Right. And so Gina said, well, you know, within a let us see another rewrite. So this was the final wish. So they changed the title to the final wish. It ended up being a terrific film and and did extremely well. And Timothy had only made two other, I think, two or three other films before that. They've all done great because he knows how to market what he's doing. 
he's got to deal with, um, I guess, is it Cinegen? I, I never know. There's Cinedime and Cinegen. There's, right. I forget which is which, but um, uh, he's got to deal with them. He's a brilliant director and, and a wonderful director for actors as well. So um, we made that movie and cut to this is how we got. So when Gina and I got this other script, we said, let's take it to Timothy. So it was us. They brought it to Timothy. And once again, he was really open to suggestions. Um, he got it made. I mean, he got the money. Suddenly we had, you know, it's, it's still a low budget movie, but he took it and he financed it. <laughs> and lo and behold, we shot it. And um, Tobin Bell, who is extraordinary. Oh, Mister, I was I was just about to ask you about Tobin. I absolutely love Tobin. He's oh, we all love he's, Tobin. He's my favorite horror icon ever. I love the Saw franchise. John Kramer is, I love John Kramer. He's absolutely amazing. He's a phenomenal actor, and just so are you. And I can't wait to. I was I was going to ask you what it was like to work with him because I'm super excited to see Miss Lynn Shay and the great Tobin Bell together. I'm super excited for it. Well, I knew also, don't forget that he, you know, it was Lee Winnell and James Wan who made his career. Right. As well as me. So the idea, the horror community, when I heard that they, and Gina, um, she knows Tobin's manager. And it was Gina's idea, my manager, to get Tobin Bell to do it, which I thought was brilliant. Wow, so, yeah. and he liked the material. So for me, that is for all horror fans, you've got your two, you know, the fact that people are so receptive to me and I know Tobin, they adore Tobin. He yeah, is bro. wonderful in the film, just wonderful. He plays my husband and we had a terrific chemistry right away. I'd never met him before. Um, we had never had the pleasure of working together or even meeting each other. And we immediately had a real, uh, um, just mutual simpatico on screen. So um, anyway, that was how this came to be. And uh, pa Pablo, um, Pablo Diaz. Pablo Diaz, okay. I was just is, looking it up too. <laughs> was totally, and he works only with, now, I don't know if he works exclusively with Tim, but he has, he has shot every one of Tim's movies from the very first. He is fantastic. The movie looks so scary. It does. It looks great. Absolutely. And I, I got to tell you, I when I finally saw the cut of it, you're gonna, it's it's gonna. I hope people see it because it is exquisite, as well as so such a fascinating story, and it becomes about being bullied, and right. um, you meet Edith Cranston, who is basically this was also all Tim's idea to make her hu really human and really humane that she ran a daycare center. Oh, and so okay. we have this whole other back, uh, we have a backstory of her, you know, in the trailer, you know, who, does everybody have a cookie? She's this loving woman who loves this little girl and the little girl's like her favorite. And she gives her a little present and it's the little girl who she's accused of murdering by the, the by the, uh, the the teens who live in the town, this kind of small town, and they they harass her to a point of damage, <laughs> big damage. So, well, and and it looks like you went through some pretty extensive makeup for that zombie undead type look. I mean, is is that all makeup or is any of that computer generated effects? Oh, that was all makeup. A long makeup session. <laughs> and um, again, I again, I'm remiss that I don't have everybody's names in front of me because I should because they all deserve to be mentioned. 
um, the woman that did our makeup, she did everybody. She did everything. She did special effects makeup. She did straight makeup. She did beauty makeup. She did everything. And she also is is one of um, of Tim's people, you know, who work with him um, and Pablo. Uh, is, it, is it Ching to Sang? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And she was she was adorable and beautiful and fun to work with and. Um, we were shooting in this old house out uh, sort of in uh, in West L.A. that um, was really an old mansion that was really scary. And also, we think, really had mold in the basement where we were working. Oh, wow. At the end of the movie, none of us were feeling that great. Oh, wow. So <laughs> it sort of ended right on time. No doubt. <laughs> um, yeah, really. But um, she was fantastic totally fantastic all Tim's people he surrounds himself with really great people who are really gifted really imaginative and creative and really kind yeah those those effects definitely look great oh yeah I watched the trailer and I was I was I'm super excited and speaking of the trailer uh this movie is coming out on October the 2nd just a few days you know from right now when we're going to release this podcast can you tell the audience where they can watch this at or where it's releasing It'll be released in um, all – I don't have the list of theaters. Tim will have that. Um, but it, it's worth checking out. Uh, there were a whole list of some drive-ins and some, you know, some big theaters. I think uh, there's some big theater chains that are going to open it as well. Um, so if you wouldn't mind to check with him uh, okay. because he will definitely provide you with that. It would be wonderful to be able to promote those theaters too who have accepted the film. So uh, – and then um, – and we hope there will be, you know, future showings on VOD and all that stuff as well. But right now, <laughs> seeing it in the movies is the way to see it. Right. Oh, it looks awesome, too. I can't. I haven't been to the movie theaters in over well over a year, probably <laughs> too long. And I would love for that would be the first one I go see in theaters because I love you and I love Tobin Bell. So that'd be phenomenal. You will. I think it, truly, if people can see this on a big screen, they will get a have a different impact, as all movies do. I mean, you really yeah. so take the opportunity. I, I can say if you can publish whatever that list is, or at least talk about it. Um, yeah. I encourage everybody to see it on the big screen if they can, and get yourself out. There are a lot of drive-ins it's being shown at, so get yourself out there and and see it on the big screen because I think. You will scream at the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, speaking of that, I mean, I'm sure the pandemic has slowed down some productions um, that you may have going on. But uh, what, what do you what does Miss Lynn Shea have coming on down the line? Do you have anything uh, you'd like to talk a little bit about? Oh, brother. Um, God, I'm, so, I'm really I, this has been a really hard time for me, kind of emotionally as well as physically. Um, I am doing actually a big video game, which I've never done before okay. um, for, for a digital domain, which will be out probably next year. I can't say too much about it, but we've been shooting that. And it, uh, this is a, a new one for me. I, I asked, um, I have a wonderful character in it, um, that we've done the mocap for and uh, which is very kind of crazy and it's difficult. <laughs> it's not so easy. Right. And there's a script. So, um, and, uh, so I asked, you know, of course, to see the script because the next series of, of meetings we will have will probably be with the director and we'll actually be shooting scenes. 956 pages. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, it almost crashed my computer. 
So that will be coming. And um, there's another uh, Zoom film I did. This will be probably sold to Netflix, I guess, or hope that it's what they're hoping for. It's called We Are Gathered Here Today. And it's got wonderful actors in it. Um, and it was all shot on Zoom. And the storyline is a very, uh, the, the patriarch of a family, um, a well-to-do family. The guy is a tennis player and a really virile, you know, guy in his, in his uh, 60s. 60s or no, he's in his 80s. I, th- I think he just turned 80. But he's still one of these guys who, you know, is, is, is nonstop. And he catches COVID. And within three days, he's dying. Oh, wow. And we, I play, uh, Jenny O'Hara plays um, his wife, and I play her sister. So I'm, I'm the sister-in-law. And there's a whole group. They have kids and grandchildren, and it's really about um, the family trying to come together at a time where they can never be together. Wow. And it's, it's, it's all improv, and it wow. was really powerful. So that will be something. I have no idea how they're going to handle it, but that's t- keep your eye open for that. Um, we are gathered here today. Okay, that's really and, interesting. Um, and I did also um, Daniel Ferrand, who is a wonderful horror director, um, who did the uh, Sharon Tate. Uh, I can't remember the exact, but he did the Sharon Tate movie a couple yes. of years ago, is doing a movie uh, called American Boogeyman about Ted Bundy. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, I play Ted Bundy's mom. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> and that, um, and um, Chad Michael Murray is playing Ted Bundy. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. okay. oh it's uh, and it's awful. <laughs> it's <laughs> awful. awfully great. In the yeah. best way. It, right, it's right. really scary. And the mom was quite a piece of work. I mean, I did quite a bit of watching her on whatever video was available and um, – so that was really fun. So those are that's really what I've been doing during the pandemic, and um, the rest we will see what's going to be. I I'm I'm hoping there's not violence in the streets in the end of this year, and I I'm I really think there will be. I think we're in for a very upsetting next few months. I hate to be a a naysayer, but um, this political thing is. I, I mean, I can't get into discussing it because there are two sides to the story. But to me, there's one side of the story, and it has to do with humanity and generosity and empathy and, anyways, big issues that are very hot. People are mad at each other, hating each other. The hatred in this community right now is just insane and very upsetting. So right. it's almost a no-win scenario, almost just about. So oh, it is a no-win scenario because yeah. there's not going to be. I mean, I don't think we may not even have another president for a year. I mean, it's you know because it's going to be lawsuits and contestion and it's going to be crazy. So I'm wishing everybody the best, and I am going to cry. This is a terrible time. This is a terrible time. We're struggling in more ways than we should be. And I honestly think it is all man-made. Not that COVID was made in a lab, but we have raped our planet. I have to get political for a minute. We have raped our planet. We have ruined our food, our soil, our air, the fires. I mean, it's just insanity. So 
we're we we still we're paying the piper. You know, we did it. And I've got to tell you, I'm not optimistic about the planet. I mean, I think it'll get rid of us eventually and then start over. That's what will happen. It has happened before. And we're not too far away from making that happen. And um, I'm very, very distressed by um, the animal that we have become. You know, I'd rather be with my dog and my horse. I have a horse and I'm the luckiest person on the planet to have a horse. I mean, awesome. I, yeah. I mean, that's who I want to be with. I don't. Uh, the fact, the pandemic, and the people, eh, whatever. Well, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm right there with you. I get it for sure. I miss my family. So I'm also Jewish, and so tonight will be the beginning of Yom Kippur. Oh yes. Which, is, which, which in a weird way, to me, is not even a religious holiday. I think it's a holiday of. I, I think the whole world should sell, should commemorate in terms of, shut up, <laughs> stop <laughs> eating. <laughs> Pay attention to what's going on inside of you. Commune with whatever it is and whomever it is that make you feel whole and investigate the mistakes we've made. The one thing that I find interesting about Yom Kippur and about the Jewish religion is that this is there's sins from man to man. You can't ask God for, for forgiveness for a sin you've committed against a person. The only person that can forgive you is that person. And I, I find that very interesting, you know, sort of philosophically. It is. Wow. So um, I wish you all a, a good fast, <laughs> a day of, even if it's not atonement, what, again, this has nothing to do with religion, that it's a good day to take one day a year out of your life and to really think about things that are um, spiritual. You know, whatever it is for you, it doesn't have to be my my God, my religion, none of that. But think about what's important of man to man. We really need that. Yes, so I love all of you guys. Thank you for inviting me to yak here for all <laughs> this amount of Thank time. You. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. We'll make sure we do our absolute best to promote the call. Look, I'm really looking forward to seeing that myself. Because I love you, <clears throat> excuse me, I love you and Tobin Bell, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And everything you just said was very powerful. Um, that was a, a powerful moment. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why I'm an actress also. I, I feel I'm a communicator, and that's part of my job is to tell the truth. That is my job. It's yes, not even part of my job. That's it. And if I don't do that in my work, and maybe that's why my work is appealing, because I don't bullshit. Yeah, I don't pretend. I find that in myself to deliver to you, to open that up in you. That is why I'm an actor. And that's yeah, and that's absolutely right. That's great. That's probably why everybody loves you so much. <laughs> well, I I hope I like it. <laughs> I can't say oh no, don't. Yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. Well, okay. Thank you again. Have a You're good welcome. weekend. Thank you too. Stay and happy Yom Kippur. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lynn Shea, for joining us. Go see The Call, starring Lynn Shea and Tobin Bell on October 2nd, and keep an eye out on our social media for that list of theaters if we can put our hands on it. And as always... You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.